You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number one of an official Vortex Optics week, right? Today's Vortex week. Or this week is Vortex Week, and I'm going to be talking with some badass people, some awesome guys that I've met throughout the years uh, with the partnership that I have with Vortex and, and some of these guys that I've known from even before the Nine Finger Chronicles days. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to share these podcasts with you because they're just really good BS sessions with guys who not only work for a company that is badass, but guys who are also hardcore, serious outdoorsmen, bow hunters, hunters in general. And I love just BSing with guys who are like-minded individuals like myself. So that's, I mean, long story short, that's what this week is about. Also, we're going to be talking with someone. His name is uh, his last name is Muckenhern. It's the only time I've ever heard that last name. But that's on the Hunting Gear podcast, and we're going to be talking about rifle scopes on some of those uh, on that particular podcast. But this is a really good week, a really good lineup worth of podcasts. We're doing three of them. We're going to be talking today with Mark Boardman. He's been working with Vortex Optics for a while. We're going to be talking with Eric Barber, and we're also going to be talking with Sawyer Briel from uh, all from Vortex. And uh, these guys, again, man, just really cool people. And that's why I I like working with Vortex is because, I don't know, man, just the people, right? I like working with companies that have good people behind them. And that's the same way with Tethered, the same way with Wasp, the same way with HuntStand, and of course, Vortex. Like these companies that I'm working with, in order to be successful, not only do you have to know your product in and out, you have to have a good product in and out, but you have to have people who work for these companies that are like, are 
what's my buddy Tim Kent say? He, my, my buddy Tim Kent, he always say says participants. They have to be participants in whatever they're trying to sell. And so a lot of these brands that I work with, the people who own these companies, who work at these companies are participating in the outdoors, in shooting sports, in hunting. And that's where I connect with them at. And that's where their brand connects with the rest of the hunting community. And that's why they're they're successful and that's why they're at the top especially vortex optics right so we have a an awesome episode today and i'm not going to take up too much of your time on this intro today we're going to be talking with mark boardman and this is a straight up bs session man we we talk a little bit about everything and i'm not going to sit here and break it all down for you i'm just going to let you get right into it real quick shout out to all the brands uh, here, of course, Vortex, they're the title sponsor of the Nine Finger Chronicles, but also Tethered. If you're looking for a saddle, go check out Tethered. Wasp Broadheads, in my opinion, in my opinion, the best broadheads on the market. Huge fan of their mechanicals, huge fan of their Boss Four Blade uh, uh, fixed blade broadheads, and of course, Hunt Stand, which I'm on all the time. My wife uh, gets mad at me every night. What are you doing? Why don't you ever talk to me? I'm like, I'm digital scouting, babe. Lay off. So, so go check out those brands uh, because they support this podcast and they actually help people out. So go check those out. Now, enough of the intro. Let's get into episode number one of Vortex Week with my buddy, Mark Boardman. I got you, baby. I got your back. That's one thing my, my son has been saying to me a lot lately is um, you know, something happened and a mess there was a mess and he picked it up without me having to ask him he, go, he looks at me and goes dad i got your back and i'm like that could be the coolest thing yeah man's ever said to a, a dad i'm like dude i got your back too man i got your back that's awesome dude. yeah that's awesome. we recording all right perfect perfect for okay so i'm here at the uh the vortex hq here in okay what's how do you say the town's name barneveld barneveld in barneveld wisconsin and, bef- and I'm here with Mark Boardman. All right, Mark, how are you? I'm well, Dan. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so before we even get into whatever we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about the steak that we ate last night. I wish we were still there. Yeah. Did you eat breakfast this morning? I did not. Neither did I. Because I ate breakfast last night is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. 20-ounce porterhouse with garlic mashed potatoes you had how how did you cook your steak uh medium rare and i had medium and then we had a, a side salad yes okay but before that it was we had, lovely yeah what would we have for appetizer fried fried cheese curds, cheese curds of course when in wisconsin yeah okay and to let's see and then to wash it down couple old fashions couple old fashions Dude, like, very very traditional <laughs> dinner know. it was delicious i'm not joking i'm saying top Top five, top ten steaks I've ever had in my life at this place. It it, it was something else. I yeah. mean, it was it was it was excess. It was gluttony, mm-hmm. and it was perfection. Twenty ounces. That's over a pound of meat. Is that is that <laughs> why I still feel just like maybe it, it was amazing? A yeah. little sluggish. Yeah. Very satiated though. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like uh, it's there's it's not a hangover because I didn't drink enough to have a hangover. No. But it's like a food coma, like, I don't know, like, you worked out really hard yesterday, and then now you're just, like, exhausted 
not exhausted, but just like you don't have the full energy capacity that you would. I don't know. It was the it, st- steak was just. I'm, I'm still like I'm, <laughs> now. I'm now. I'm almost like my mouth is watering talking about it. It was so good. Should man. we just go? Just, go again? Yeah. Do they have a brunch? <laughs> It's worth because checking. It's like that's a chance I'm willing to take. Yeah, it's eight thirty. We just go say screw this podcast. We just go wait in the parking lot. I think everybody would understand. Yeah, yeah, I think they would too. It was good. It yeah. was good. I love Wisconsin. Or one thing I love about Wisconsin is like it has like it, everywhere you go is going to have like a regional flair to their food or something like that. But. um like Friday night fish is yeah. like a thing. Yep, it Iowa. seems like it's a very strong tra- tradition. But it, in some ways, it's like arb. At least to me, it's kind of arbitrary. I've never lived anywhere before where it's like, yeah. oh no, on fish. Like, I mean, a lot of people have fish. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you have you almost have like the state drink yep. with the old fashioned. I don't know why, yep. but I enjoy it. Yep, There's, it just makes it special. It's good. Yep, the county that I lived in growing up was okay. So it was like Thursday night tacos, mm-hmm. Friday night fish, and then. Saturday night chicken for the for a handful of places and so and then you'd throw uh, some some places instead of chicken would have prime rib right okay but well, I'll, I'll take the prime it was rib. all like I really the the thing I hate most about COVID is the fact that all of the salad bars in across the country have been taken down they took a they took a hit yeah for sure and because that's where I would load up it's like a one-trip <laughs> salad bar <laughs> and you just like it's almost like Hey, if they made bigger plates, I'd put more food on on the plate. So right, yeah, you're try you're like, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, on me tonight, they're definitely not making money on me tonight. So, but it's like, uh, it's like this weird, weird's not the right word, but like you look, it gives you something to look forward to, and in some ways, it's like kind of silly, but you still look forward to it. You're exactly. like, oh, it's taco night, baby. It's yeah. fish night. It's fish night. It's taco night. So, when I was in college, we had this thing called FAC. It was called Friday after class. Okay. okay. So as, I know what I was doing. Yeah. So as soon as class got out on Fridays, which most of the time, especially my senior year, I didn't have class on Fridays. Oh dear. So I would I'd go to work uh, on Fridays. I'd go to my the job that I had, and I'd work until about two thirty three o'clock, and then I would go to FAC. And FAC Friday after class, a lot of bars would have a free keg of beer, and so you just. Um, it was the beer was free until that keg ran out, and so the bars were all packed at like three o'clock. It sounds dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And so back then, you know, I could handle a lot of beer. Okay. Then we would have a, a driver take us to a small town um, southeast of there, a ways, and they had a on on Friday nights. It was all you could eat: pork and beans, all you could eat coleslaw. Uh, fish and chicken and it was and back then that was like 2002 or three it was all you could eat for like 550 and so we would go there and just (laughs) destroy like set the base for the rest of the night you know what i mean oh yeah (laughs) right (laughs) so oh like my buddy bob and my buddy chris and nate we'd go there every once in a while and just oh dude it was so much fun and just like eat, 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 eat. Okay, we're re- we're back. We're back on uh, level zero. Now we can go, <laughs> basically get wrecked the rest of the <laughs> night, and and have a good sit- base in our stomach to where, you know, it's uh, we're not going to go to the hospital or anything like that. So. You got to stupid. That, basically, that re- it reminds me of uh, 
there's like some crazy old Simpsons episodes where, where Homer goes to like an all you can eat, you know, like shrimp place or yeah. something like that, like seafood place. And they, I think they eventually like kick him out yeah. because he's like, yep. you know, were you ever asked to leave? Yeah. Oh, no, no. no. They, yeah. they loved us because it, that, you know how in certain small town bars, it was so, it's so local. Okay. Like, you know, like it's just the locals that come in and we would come in and not only would we buy way more beer, like oh, that's where they made sure. their, their okay. money yeah. off, off of us was the alcohol, right? So they were basically feeding us. They were taking a loss there, but man, we were buying, you know, there'd be five or six of us there and we'd buy booze and we'd buy, you know, pitcher and pitcher of beer and all that stuff. And, and then we were cool too. So like, yeah, they, they, right? they, they, they just loved having us there because it was something different for them. And, uh, we would play the jukebox. So, you know, instead of eating in a dead quiet spot, we'd turn the jukebox on, crank some music and turn it into this hangout. Yeah. So it was pretty, it was, add, yeah. add a little zip to the place. Yeah, absolutely. In, the, in that same episode, Homer, I don't know why I'm like, Hey, let me give you a recap of this like 1982 <laughs> Simpsons rep- episode. Everybody, you're really going to enjoy this. He, eventually he turns into like a spectacle. The guy like leverages. He's like, come eat, come see the oh, bottomless yes, hit yes, or whatever. I yes. can't remember exactly. <laughs> I've but. seen it. I've seen that episode. Oh man! Now, okay, for you, you were you were born in Washington, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, and then you moved to Nebraska for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's let's start at the beginning. Does Washington have a Midwest version of Friday Night Fish or Prime Rib or Taco Night? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Not that I'm, not that I'm aware of. And my brother will he'll sometimes he'll be like, "Oh, what night is it that you're eating tonight?" You know, and I'm like, "Dude." Like I, I like I like it. Yeah, like it's get like off this, my back, bud. Yeah. I'm like, what are you looking forward to on Friday? Um, yeah. There's like, no, and that's I. I think Wisconsin too has like, um, like a lot of pride. Like yeah. people are proud to live in Wisconsin. Oh yeah. Which is cool. I like that. Yeah. You know. That's a Midwest thing, man. Like, I don't. I think people are gener- generally proud of where they're from like if you ask someone out west are you proud to be from where you're at they'd probably say yes but they don't necessarily vocalize it or but i'll say this people in the midwest iowa wisconsin minnesota especially i'll just say from experience even down into missouri they're just nice people just nicer straight up it's we'll get a lot of folks here who come to visit and they're taken back by it yeah you know, and, and I do think it's, I, th- I, I think it's genuine, you know, yeah. and actually I think I've grown accustomed to it as well to where like, I'll be somewhere else, like not in Wisconsin yeah. and like you pass somebody and like you like nod or say hi yeah. and I don't know this person. Yeah. Right. And they're like, what the fuck? like, you know, like yeah. they, they're almost, they're taken back by it and they're like, um, skeptical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, here's the thing driving down a road not knowing the person that you're meeting on the road and you throw them the two finger the the little wave yeah that is that's the representation you know like my grandpa taught me that and i'm like grandpa what do you like do you even know that guy no man you wave at everybody and my wife my wife when she's driving with me i'll go down this one road and i'll meet you know these cars and i'll throw it up they'll throw it up mm-hmm. and, and it's it's almost like it's almost like a polite gang sign. It's like, "Hey, you cool? Yeah, I'm cool. How are you?" you it's know? like it's just like a, a hat tip. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I, Jim and I were talk, talking about this exact thing on a different one of our podcasts the other day. Because where I live, like I live in like a, I guess like your typical suburb yeah. type place, right? But not just on the outskirts of town, I yeah. guess, on my way to work. Like I take a, uh, like a two-lane road. It's paved, yeah. right? So maybe I'm... Maybe I'm on the edge, but yeah. like I just ha- again get in the habit of just like the two finger, and I never get it back. And I'm like, I'm like, I feel like we're, I feel like that's like, yeah. uh, but ma- maybe it's a gray area too. But Jim was saying where he's because he's got a, a little place out in the country, and he said it's such a tight knit community that like if you're kind of from the outside, mm-hmm. like. It's almost like, well, I don't know you. Like, they, yeah. it's interesting. So, yeah. oh, definitely. If you go into if you go into places that in small town, I don't care what small town you're at. I mean, a perfect example is uh, in Nebraska. While we were out there mule deer hunting this year, we would uh, we stopped in this bar to eat a burger in between hunts, and th- people who were in here, they just it was literally stopped what they're doing, l- looked at us, and just observed us. We don't know who these people are, and they just stared at us. For, oh, it's for it's, for an amount of amount of time that was just a little longer than comfortable. You know what I mean? Like, uh, okay, and then they went back to doing their thing. So, yeah. it, I mean, it's like a record skips. Yeah, you know, but but I would I would say in the same breath, yeah. generally, it's like you're out there, you're hunting. I feel yeah. like you know, like that's, I guess, I guess to whatever uh, generalize, like a rural type of activity yeah generally you can break the ice in some way and yeah. like all right these guys are all right yeah absolutely so let's um how long have you worked at vortex i think i think going on 14 years now 14 years all right so and the company started in 2000 and so i would say i think officially 2002 2002 okay. give me an ish, ish on that 2002 2003 whatever, um, 14 years. So you've really seen this company like grow. It, it's, it's been really fun to watch and, and be a part of and see that, you know, that, yeah. uh, evolution over time for yeah. sure. So when you first, when you first started working here, what was your, what was your job? So I was, I guess the, the marketing manager, right. So but the, like, Every the first guy that came in, right? One of the first marketing guys that came in. Yeah, there was a guy before me that was doing a really good job, um, and then he went to do something else, and just you know the stars aligned for me at at the time. Uh, I was working for Cabela's mm-hmm. at their HQ over in Sydney, Nebraska, and uh, and uh, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Technical thing. Dan no. was waving. I got distracted. <laughs> no, it's good. He was telling me to keep going, and I couldn't do it. No, like, my, my uh, headphones are, uh, like, a little too loud, and so it's, like, blowing my ears out. Probably. I'm a loud talker. No, it's, and it's okay. Here, we got we got our technician who who is uh, is going to fix this. And, by the way, I don't edit, so this is all staying in. Once you're in, you're in. in your, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's good. I appreciate it. Thank you. But so, uh, so anyway, so we'll make this seamless. Seamless. Yeah. Um, I was at Cabela's. Yeah, and I, and I really liked it there. Super strong outdoor culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, even though I got to Cabela's at like a different time mm-hmm. in their kind of like you know journey to where th- they got to be. Mm-hmm. When I um, 
there's parallels watching Vortex and kind of hearing the stories from like the old school Cabela, yeah. Cabela's guys too. But so I liked it there, but I was also, uh, you know, kind of also in the process of looking for something different. Yeah. Um, and uh, just researching companies. Knew that I wanted to be in the outdoor industry in some capacity because that's just what I'm passionate about. It's what yeah. I know. You know, when I was at Cabela's, I was a copywriter for a number of years and then ended up in the uh, marketing brand management department doing media relations. So yeah. um, anyway, this opportunity came up at Vortex, uh, stars aligned, it worked out. So initially, right, like a fairly small, like we're a small company, like yeah. not a lot of people. So everybody, everybody's wearing a ton of hats. So from, you know, you know, media planning, media buying, uh, media relations, yeah. uh, trade show planning, copywriting for the catalog, writing yeah. press releases. It was just, you know, a little yeah. bit of everything for sure. Man, so back in my day, and you, you you joked about it earlier this or yesterday when I came in and I was sitting in the cubicle and we were joking about flashbacks to the cubicle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a copywriter for a while. Oh, really? For um, For small business websites. Okay, so uh, a company would come in and, let's say, Jed's Auto Repair. So I would have to write search engine optimization friendly content for his, you know, everything that he does on every page. And so, man, I hated that job. (laughs) I hated it. So was Like, were you writing copy that was like... Come to Jeb's Auto Repair because yeah. if you need auto repairs for your automobile, yes, or or other type yes. of car, yes, you know, you know, so like Google obviously um, wants when they search their algorithm likes big blocks of content that have keywords that indicate in that. So it's like if you're looking for auto or you know if if your car breaks down and you're looking for high quality automotive repair, um, come to Jeb's Auto. Jeb's Auto offers, you know, brakes, alignments, you know, like mm-hmm. all these different mm-hmm. things. And then you have to rewrite basically the same thing on another page under a more specific heading. And it's just, ugh. I I enjoy I enjoy writing and copywriting, mm-hmm. but I agree, you know, certain certain types of it, like what you're describing can be a little bit monotonous. Like I know in my early days at Cabela's, like, you know, you'd be writing, you know, I mean, th- their product assortment was like, just immense yeah. right um so like you're writing you know your 50th copy block on uh you know some uh x company's jacket when they have you know 50 jackets and the, <laughs> and the difference is a zipper yeah you know yeah you're like okay man how do I, how you, do i spin this one did you ever take liberties on a product maybe you really like like not gonna lie this product is badass and then like get it into the calendar or into the uh, catalog that way so my my crown jewel of that was so i mean particularly on the catalog side of things like space is at a premium right so so the um uh like the purchasing specialist i believe would kind of design the layout of those pages and they would uh kind of dictate like how much space a product got so like if it was like a heavy hitter product it's going to get more space if it's if it's less significant you're going to get less space to to write somehow this block slips through the cracks where i have a ton of space for the Mm -hmm. print catalog it is for a squid jig like i don't know do you know what squid jigging is for fishing right like well, vertical up and down. So yes, but like so, and I actually had a you know I'd done this before. I had a yeah. background in squid jigging went back from my Washington days. So you yeah. go out to the piers, yep. right? So there's piers in downtown Seattle, or there's you know other places in Puget Sound. Go out at night, 
uh, generally uh, have some sort of lighting system to kind of, you know, cast light down. The squid are attracted to it, and then you have this, like, glow-in-the-dark jig, and you're just, like, jigging up and down. And I actually don't know the why behind they grab it, if they think it's food or if they think if it's, uh, like, an aggressive response or whatever, or you're just, you know, snagging the yeah. darn thing. But, uh, you uh, you know, they, they latch onto it. You reel it up. It's spitting water and ink, and then you got, you know, you got calamari. So, but it's a very simple product. It's a very niche product. Like, not a lot of people have a need to go squid jigging. Right. Why it had this immense amount of space, but I was like, oh, baby, buckle up. (laughs) So I remember, I don't remember the exact thing, but I I mean, like, I wrote, like, I mean, it was like poetry for squid jigging. I remember, like, uh, the this is is how I started. The hum of a portable generator, lights illuminating (laughs) the depths below. These are the things that bring squid jiggers to the piers, you know, like, just on and on and on and on. And it made the catalog. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, hopefully we sold some squid jigs. I don't know. You probably don't know, but it was probably a banner year for squid jigs <laughs> like, for why, Cabela. Why are, why are squid jigs up this year? I'll <laughs> tell you why. They're up huge this year. <laughs> That's funny. Sydney, Nebraska, though, is in the middle of nowhere. It is somewhat remote. Yeah. Yes. How, how, so how far is Sydney from? Because I used to hunt north of Ogallala. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've hunted northwest of that a ways too uh, in um, uh, yeah northwest Nebraska. So how far is Sydney from Denver? I believe it's about two and a half hours. Okay, two and a half. And so for us, that was our closest airport. Yeah. So when you wanted to get out of town or go somewhere, or fly for work or for going a hunt, get yeah. back home, whatever. It was a it was a two and a half hour drive to get to the airport. So you're looking at you know, and then of course it's like two and a half hour drive, get to the airport two hours, fly you know. So it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the most convenient thing. But the one thing like I I describe my time there, uh, <laughs> the town like it was a small town like definitely and and a lot of people lived there before Cabela's. A lot of people grew up there with that but what i liked about it was like everybody was kind of stuck in the same crummy boat so you made your own fun yeah Yeah. and you had a lot of people who like everybody that you knew whether they worked for cabela's or not loved to hunt and fish Mm -hmm. right so you have an entire community built on these things that you love to do you're all stuck in the same crummy boat and uh you make your own fun so it's not like oh hey what are we doing what are you doing this weekend? It's like, where do you want to go hunt, hunt or fish this weekend? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, you call um, a simple email and you've got 20 of your best friends and you're having a barbecue at your house on, on a Friday. Yeah. Like it was like, I described it as second college. It was yeah. amazing. I yeah. really enjoyed my time there. So how old, so you were in your early thirties at that point or that, so, that would have been late twenties. I think I got there. I think I was like, 25 okay 24 25 when i got there something like that i don't know i'm I'm no math magician dan so don't don't test me on this 20s and then you worked there for a handful of years like about seven or eight years something like that yeah Yeah. okay so vortex Mm -hmm. comes calling are you did you did they call you or did you call i reached out yeah Yeah. and it was just like i said it was just like uh just yeah the stars aligned it couldn't couldn't have worked out better you know one of those deals and so I want to talk a little bit about the culture here. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I always say in, you know, like 
Vortex is a partner of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, mm-hmm. so I read advertisements for them and I talk about Vortex, and that's why I'm here today. There's this, you know, business partnership, but I've also created, uh, you know, like friendships out of the deal mm-hmm. with the guys who work here too. And so, uh, one of the things I always like to say, not necessarily just about Vortex, but pe- other brands that I choose to work with, is good people. Mm-hmm. And that makes, in my eyes, a brand step up above everything. And just coming to your guys' facility, your headquarters, uh, the last two days, and walking around, meeting the people, seeing how you guys operate, um, and how much time and energy you guys focus, not only on your products, but on the, um, the customer, is crazy. I mean, it, it, it's second to none if you, if you ask me, so why don't, and then, so that's the customer product side of things, Mm -hmm. but as an employee, talk a little bit about the culture of the work here, which I feel then the customer is getting the best of whoever they're dealing with, if that makes sense. Yep. So I'd say just, I'd say first, just like you're interested mm-hmm. in working with good people, people yeah. you can relate to that are just, you know, uh, in general, like, you know, whatever, good, very general, but like good human beings, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're interested in as well. So like, that's why we work together. I mean, heck, yeah. you and I, Dan, and we covered this in the podcast that we recorded for the Vortex Nation podcast. Um, we've known each other for, you know, what, 2007, so, 2008, yeah. somewhere in there. A long time. You know, yeah. a long time, right? But that's because, like, you're a good person, you're down to earth, yeah. like, all those things, right? And then you're getting back. So that's the type of people that we want to work with on yeah. the marketing side. Like, so it's like we're looking for the same thing, which is cool. And yeah. You know, that's what you get. Um, Vortex, you know, the founders of Vortex have always put a a premium on customer service, right? And that's going to sound like, oh, yeah, customer service, like cliche, like whatever, right? But but that's like customer service for our customers, Mm -hmm. the the end user buying the product. Uh, That's customer service for our dealers, you know, who are customers as well. And and it's – but they also include employees in that Mm -hmm. as well. So the company – fosters this 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 amazing um like you said uh culture tradition of treating people how you want to be treated right and i mean i i believe you know i guess a result of that is is you get what you give yeah right yeah um and also wanting to work with good people who are fully on board with that mission yeah um is what creates the atmosphere that that we have here and you know i mean it's um we always say uh like we take our jobs very seriously mm-hmm. we don't take ourselves too seriously right um and so it just creates a, a a fun um like what i like to say is you know human relatable yeah uh vibe that that's genuine yeah right and that's and i think that's a, a big reason why it all works yeah so you know like when i when i was living my cubicle life it was dull like there was I guess you would say the active conversation between people was kind of frowned upon, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just here, you guys stand up, you talk across, you know, the, the room, Hey, you got this, you, you stop, you maybe BS for a little bit and then you get back at it. And I think from a workplace environment, 
what I had my experience was throughout the years, it was just stifling creativity. It was because your job is not to be creative. Your job is to do what we tell you to do, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, yawn. And that's why I hated every year, every day of the job that I was in. Right. Yeah, you know, I got a strategy here. Let's yeah. absolutely crush these people's souls. Yeah. I mean, anyway, mm-hmm. and it was not, and it was not fun here, man. It, every time, every face I saw, the people genuinely looked happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And so, man, kudos, kudos to you guys for creating that environment. And like I said, that runoff then goes to the customer and mm-hmm. goes to the product because they know that, like, I don't know, man, it just like, you know, listening to people talk about how they take the, the machining part of it very, you know, very seriously. And, and then at the same time, you know, they get, to have a cool work environment and they get a talk and things, you mm-hmm. know, they, they're not taken too seriously, but then they go, okay, I'm given this freedom, but I, I need to focus, you know, I got to focus on my job too. And I get the, I get the work done. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, a, a balance to be struck there, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and that, that started at, you know, at the top, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a top down thing but you know it's like okay let's be creative let's yep. have fun let's give you the uh, the autonomy yep. to do a good job yep you know make good choices yep. um and uh yeah i think uh, oftentimes people want to you know vortex has definitely seen some success and, mm. and growth over the years right and people will be like oh well, you know what's the secret oh they're they're really great at uh, designing products or their, 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 their sales team. It's yeah. their sales team or it's their marketing. And I always say like, it's, you know, not to oversimplify it, but it's just those foundational core values yeah. that we believe in, that yeah. we truly believe in and, and want to do. Yeah. Um, to me, that's the secret sauce. And it's like, oh, that's simple or that's easy. And it's like, those are actually, they are simple, when you look at them, but actually not easy to do yeah. in, in some ways at the same time. Right. So, right. It's like I was telling you guys yesterday, when I, when I was, if I would bring a, a Euro mount into work, like there's deer antlers all over the place. There's ammo on people's desks. There's guns all over the place, you know, safety obviously, but. Um, Dan, where we ate lunch the other day, um, we, we've, we've butchered a few deer in that room too. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so. That's what I'm talking about. Like, if that happened in this other, in, in my environment, I would probably get multiple complaints, mm-hmm. right? Um, if I brought a deer head in or I had a picture on my screensaver yep. um, that was a like a trophy shot. Or, you know, of course, if I brought a weapon to, uh, or a weapon and set it on my desk to work, I wouldn't. I would, oh, you can't do that. Uh. Oh, right. And, and It'd be so, like totally yeah. out of place, totally frowned upon. Yeah. 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 You're getting called into somebody's office. Yeah, exactly. Or get, getting tased by the police. You but, know what I mean? Yeah. So. <laughs> Which wouldn't be your first time. But. Well, I've never been tased before. <laughs> never been tased. Let the record show. Knock on wood, man. Hopefully I'm past that stage of my life. <laughs> um, so you've worked in the hunting outdoor space for a long period of time where and we talked a little bit about this at dinner last night but you you come from a hunting family Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so was this something that was like your dad 
was a big time hunter. Your uncles were hunters and it was just, it's basically your birthright. So for me growing up as a little kid, so yeah, my dad, he grew up in a hunting family. I mean, I think hunting slash fishing family, you know, the heart of, you know, salmon country. So, I mean, my growing up, you know, I don't think they had a ton of money. Um, so it was, you know, they ate venison, they ate salmon, they ate trout. You know, my dad tells a story of, they went to the, there's a local trout Creek and I think they caught, you know, like 20 some, just a pile of trout. Right. And that bowl of trout sat in the fridge until it was gone. They, you know, I mean, and so, I mean, that's, that's what he grew up with. You know, my, obviously my grandpa being my dad's father, that's how these things work. (laughs) Uh, really enlightening your audience here. Um, but you know, Hunter Fisher, I mean, that was just like, it was a way of life, right? Where I grew up, like outside of my family, that, that wasn't, those weren't popular activities. So my family was really the only people that I knew that hunted and fished. So, um, obviously, you know, friends outside of that sports outside of that, but the people who I hunted and fished were my dad, my grandpa and my brother. Um, and so that was interesting so I, like people that knew that I hunted were like, didn't understand it yeah. or, you know, against it, you know, things like that. Yeah. So you kind of, you know, that was the foundation. And as, as you get older, um, did you go through a, uh, I'm going to put hunting on the back burner phase, like, like I did where it was, you know, sports and other social events and things like that. Or were you like gung-ho from the beginning man i i was gung-ho i mean i think back to like my like my earliest like core memories Mm -hmm. and like they generally all revolve around hunting and fishing like i was definitely fascinated with the natural world like one of them like i can remember back to when i was three and i remember um my dad catching a rabbit not hunt not killing he actually caught it right but i was like oh my gosh we have this rabbit uh, I remember catching two salamanders and having, uh, yeah, and these are memories yeah. when I'm three, like two lizards that I probably kept too long, eventually let them go. I remember him bringing home like uh, a black rock bass and having it alive in the bucket. And like, those are like my three standout memories when I was three yeah. years old. Like they all revolve around that. So I was just, I was always taken and enthralled with the natural world. Um, like I said, like my, in Washington, you have to um, like pick your weapon. So I grew up in a rifle hunting family. Like yep. you can't, you don't have the luxury of like bow, rifle, muzzleloader. It's like, what are you going to do? Um, so we always rifle hunted. And I guess one thing I'd say somewhat unique with me within the family was like a curiosity of like other things. I'm like, no, I want to bow hunt. Like, so I was the first in my family to bow hunt. I'm like, I, I want to learn how to fly fish. I remember as a little kid, my, uh, our neighbor painted houses and he, he painted a house for this uh, couple, Jim and Kelly Watt, who created these like uh, somewhat cheesy, sorry, Jim, Kelly, uh, fly fishing videos. They would travel the world yeah. and, and produce these fly fishing videos. And this, Dan, this is back in the day. I mean, like I, you'd see their production equipment compared to what we have today. I mean, it was like news cameras, like yes. over the shoulder news cameras. Yep. Like, I don't even know how, like they'd go fish like, you know, Kodiak Island and things like this. I don't even know how they got their stuff there and the, you know, in the little planes. But so like, just like, I was always seeking new opportunities, new things, wanting to, you know, from fly fishing to bow hunting to whatever. Like I was just, you know, we, we didn't, I didn't grow up in a bear hunting family. Like once I learned how to read and I could read the rates, I'm like, wait a minute, bear season starts in August. Why aren't we doing this? Yeah. You know, like I just, I, I just com- completely and utterly taken with it. So 
I did sports in high school. I did actually the only sports I did were fall sports, but we're talking about football and uh, you know, and this could be one of the reasons that yeah. I didn't see too much Friday night time, <laughs> but uh, one of, uh, but like we'd have Saturday practice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, football season, that's October. Yeah. Like I never made a Saturday practice. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, that was deer season. Yeah. Like I feel you. it was like, that's, that was a non-negotiable for me. Like I was going to go deer hunting. Yeah. Kind of a sidebar now. Do you still have family out in? Mm-hmm. Like, so my whole family's still out there. Still yeah. out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from a, from a hunting family, mm-hmm. watching a state like Washington, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I've seen recent pressure from the non-hunting community mm-hmm. try to ban a whole bunch of things. Seattle is a crazy city when it comes to how laws are passed for the rest of the state. Yeah. Whether that is... Um, you know, ranching out east and things like that. I've heard, I've heard states like um, uh, Oregon and Washington. Uh, groups of people ha- want to implement a no animal kill state. That means no mouse traps, no, you know, killing of agriculture, anything like that. So it there's that group of people out there. Ha- what like what does your family say about the the direction that a state like that is going so i mean it, it's definitely tricky right because yeah. you know when i personally look at that state number one like my snapshot is you know when i left like yeah. tw- 20 years ago probably yeah. something like that right um and i think it definitely had it was on even at that time it was certainly on the trajectory that it, i guess is still on yeah today um and from a landscape per- perspective, it's one of the most amazing places oh, on dude, earth. Flying into Seattle is gorgeous, and out western western Seattle or western uh, Washington. I've never been to eastern Washington, mm-hmm. but western Washington is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, you look at it from a landscape perspective, um, an outdoor opportunity perspective, as far as diversity. Uh, uh, for both of those things, like you said, you got, you've got the coast, Mm -hmm. you're going into rainforest, you're going into like conifers, you're going into, uh, the Cascade mountains, transition to high desert. You got three, you got whitetails, blacktails, and mule deer Mm -hmm. all in one state. You got Roosevelt elk, you got Rocky mountain elk all in one state. You got three species of turkeys. You know, you can hunt Easterns on the West side, limited populations. You got Rio's in the southeast, you got Merriam's up north, you've got salmon fishing, you've got phenomenal walleye fishing, bass fishing, amazing waterfowling, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'd say the big game hunting, like I always, I always joke that like I'm the one out of state, per, like they're like, oh, uh, Mark's here. He's, it's the one out of state elk tag that we're going to sell uh, just because I like, I like going back home. That's home to yep. me. But the big game hunting, like it's not the greatest. It can be really good. Um, but the opportunity and diversity of things that, you can do is like really unmatched in my opinion great trout streams i mean high mountain lakes like you name it and i I think also that's probably what fostered my passion for new things because i had like a lot of really unique but cool opportunities maybe not all of them are the best Mm -hmm. but you can go do it in your home state yeah you know yeah that and that's you know it would be crazy to think the of that opportunity compared to what 
uh, I have in Iowa, right? So, so whitetails, turkeys, mm-hmm. and we obviously have a variety of fishing that we can do. Mm-hmm. We can do some pheasant hunting, upland birds. Um, I don't know if we have a quail season anymore because of the population, but that's about it. I mean, we could predator hunt and we can, you know, trap and things like that. But if you're, if you're a bow hunter, you're limited to certain things, right. Mm -hmm. Or even just like a big game hunter, but you know, so, so out West, when you're talking about elk, elk, deer, 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 turkey, turkey, you know, fishing, uh, you know, fishing the ocean, fishing inland fishing, you know, like all that crazy things. And it just like, even, even a state, one state West of Iowa, just adding the, you know, the mule deer opportunity mm-hmm. from Nebraska or mm-hmm. South Dakota or something like that. That's, uh, I don't know. That, there, there's advantages to being here too. Cause you are kind of centrally located. Like yeah. you might not have those, op- but you can spider web off that. And yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, you're not, not too long. You're on the East coast, not yeah. too long. You're on the West right. coast. So, right. you know, and getting back to like, you know, I guess the, the trajectory without, you know, trying to get you know, too political. I mean, I obviously yeah. have my own personal views. Um, it's tricky though. Like, you know, you're bringing up, well, just current events. We did a podcast on it. You know, the, the, the recent, uh, I guess I'll say halting of the Washington state, uh, spring bear hunt. Yes. Which, you know, uh, large, I'd say, you know, constituents of people with a anti hunting, uh, you know, uh, mission, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, paraphrasing, there's all sorts of nuances to these things. You know, spreading a message that, you know, like, okay, um, this, this hunt is unethical because people are, and, and so I'm going to preface what I say here with this, in my opinion, this is not the reality and just, it it isn't, you know, they're, they're shooting lethargic lactating females who are, uh, uh, you know, malnourished and, uh, orphaning cubs because of the spring bear season. It's like, well. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Right? That's, if you look at, at least the data that I've looked at, that is not what's happening yeah. in the slightest. But, yeah. you, but you're able to create this public perception, mm-hmm. right? If you said that to me and that was what was true, I'd be like, well, that is terrible. Yeah. But, but, but that's not what's happening. But you have, again, like I said, you don't, on the west side of the state, predominantly um, these these are generalizations i'm probably going a little too deep now but i think there's a large constituent of people that um would you know you know aren't necessarily don't have a a a, an accurate understanding of what hunting is exactly you know in my opinion yeah okay i'll caveat that um but that's also driving decisions that are being made and these decisions are being made off you know, emotion, not science, not what, not actual data and work that biologists who have spent their life studying these animals are presenting. Yeah. Right. But so you're taking all this information that you do have, but making a, making a, an ultimate decision based on how you feel or how other people feel, but and I don't want to discount the way people feel, but it's not for the ultimate good of the animals themselves. I don't know. I mean, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not articulating that correctly. No, I, I feel, I feel you because I feel like emotion 
like we, we've talked about passion a lot, you mm-hmm. know, at the, when, when I was on the Vortex podcast, we talked about passion and that's what drives me and you to do what we do. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to managing something, you need data, you need science. And that should be like, to me, emotion should be left out of certain things when it, from, from a decision-making process. Mm-hmm. So uh, when it comes to managing a, a deer herd or a, a natural resource, we should look at data. We should look at the science behind it because, you know, like I wouldn't probably shoot deer, especially white-tailed does, if it if the hunting season was in April, let's say. No. Or May. Heaven's no. Right, like pregnant deer or a, a, a deer with a, a baby fawn in it. That That's just not that ethical in a way, right? That's where the emotion kind of comes right. in, but that's why we use science and data, and we have fall mm-hmm. hunting seasons and things like that. So now there could now there could be in contrast that not that that would be something that I would personally like want to do. Yeah, but there if there could be an area where it's like oh my gosh, and this is hypothetical. Yep. Maybe, maybe there's areas like this that exist. Um, we have this abundance of this this overabundance of deer. Mm-hmm. They're unhealthy because of this abundance. Mm-hmm. We have to take uh, some sort of action to mitigate, you know, uh, this population, which could, and again, hypothetical, yeah. could mean taking deer at that time. And I'd be like, wow, I don't love the way that sounds, yeah. right? You know, because I'm, but why I don't love the way that sounds is because I'm putting my my human feelings yeah. on it. Yep. From a management perspective, if the science and all the work back that up, I'd be like, man, I don't like it, but we probably should do it. Exactly. Exactly. And I can tell you right now that that is happening in urban areas where people don't want hunters to go and hunt deer, but now the population is too high and now they're, they're more pissed that the deer are eating their landscaping. And so the government or the city or township or whoever is hiring people now to go shoot deer and it's costing them. And I've talked to some guys and they're just like, we are hired by this community to go and thin the population. And, but the, the, their rule is any deer, right? All year round, whether it's got spots, whether it has, and so they are shooting those younger deer or their mothers and things like that. Um, instead of letting hunters take care of the situation. So it's, I don't know, man. It's the, this. the net, the net result is the same. Yeah. But one is caught. One, one is, one is hitting in your tax dollar pocket. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, 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 it gets, it gets tricky out there Yeah, for it's, sure. It's nuts, man. All right. So with, with you being in this outdoor space for so long, Man, you've probably had the opportunity to go see some amazing places, hunt some amazing, you know, landscapes. Do you, you know, since you started working for Cabela's to today, mm-hmm. is there, has there been any trip or any hunt that you've been on that is just, dude, if I could, I would do that every single year. I love, I loved it. It, it just like, it's, it just, I don't know, it had that big of an impact on your life. I mean, here. So here's my problem, Dan. It's all of them. Yeah. Like I, I love them all. You know, it's like it's 
you know, you're like, you do a new hunt and you're like, that was amazing. I got to yeah. do that every year. And you're like, well, that hunts in November. Yeah. You know, I also love to hunt whitetails yep. in November. Right. Um, there, there's, there's definitely a few standout trips. Um, it, you know, I'd say one that probably like tested me personally the most, I talk about it all the time, but would be, um, Alpine Sitka blacktails. Mm -hmm. Like that was like a really, you know, that was probably the most remote to this point, like remote, like unsupported. Like once you got dropped off, like it was, it was me and my buddy. Like yeah. I always, I always talk about this, but I'm like, uh, we got dropped off on this lake. The little plane flies away. It is like all you, all you hear is like just the lapping of just the, you know, the, the ripple waves, like as they're hitting the shore. And I remember my first, my first thought, I go, don't cut yourself. Yeah. Don't cut, you know, that was my first, don't cut yourself. How many days were you scheduled to be there? You know, I think around five, we cut the trip a little, we, right before we cut the trip a little bit short or we scheduled to cut it short because, um, we had a fairly tight weather window of getting in, getting out. Um, it was beautiful when we got in and then we had, you know, rain and rain and fog for basically the next three days, one day of good hunting. I killed, uh, killed a nice two point in velvet. We ran into bears. We saw more bears than we saw deer, uh, ended up spending the, the night that I killed that deer, another storm rolled in. So we spent another night on the mountain, just in our tents. Like we spent more time in our tents than we did anything else. Um, and then made it down, but it was like, yeah, it was, uh, that was a very, like very cool memorable hunt actually i lost my deer to bears it was hanging in game bags off a cliff but they still got it so I've got, I've got i've got the pictures of that deer but like didn't find a shred of a game bag like gone I, like i'm con like scoured the hillside spent hours like just looking for a shred of a game bag like gone the so, head was so gone, they everything they ate the game bag i can only assume <laughs> be, like i found no evidence of like uh yeah, so, yeah. but it was like, you know, and I'm, you know, it's always, I always say trips like that, or, we weren't in any sort of like extreme peril, you know, but yeah. like, um, there were a lot of bears though. We didn't have a bear fence. Um, and, uh, like I even remember looking down, I shot that deer, we got it cut up, hung it off the edge of this cliff and we made it to the summit that day. Cause we hadn't been able to, we just couldn't see until mm -hmm. that day. And I remember looking down, I'm like, there's a bear, there's a bear, there's two bears. There's another two bears, and they're like pacing back and forth, like where we'd killed that deer. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is, you know, this is not good. Yeah. But anyway, but it was like a really cool, amazing trip. It tested me personally, um, from a physical standpoint, from like a mental standpoint of just like you know, like alone with your thoughts in a tent. Like mm -hmm. I was in a super small. Um, like it was definitely a really good. Um, like I love the tent. It's a it's a um, Hilleberg, uh, Enon, Enon, however you say it, and it's like a single one person tent. It's like a, floorless. You know, Nope, has a floor. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, mountain, you know, designed for the mountain. I think it weighs like two pounds, 10 ounces, something like that. So super lightweight, but very solo. Yeah. Like, it's not, uh, it wasn't roomy. Like, yeah. I mean, I would mark my days by like turning over. Like, oh, <laughs> like I'll, I'll lay on my belly now. Oh, I'll lay on my back now. It's been four hours. Um, but that was a really cool hunt. Uh, archery coos deer is a very unique, cool hunt. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I like every time I do something different. I like it though. I love yeah. elk hunting in September. You know, I don't know. 
Do do you have a hunt that you do every year? I mean, obviously, I mean, you live here in Wisconsin, they have whitetails, but aside from that, is there a out of state hunt that you do every single year? Um, there's things I try to hunt with my family, mm-hmm. you know, uh, once a year. So that'll usually entail like, um, last year we did, um, muzzleloader Roosevelt yeah. elk on the West side, uh, didn't kill anything, came, came really close. Actually, that was a tough hunt. Saw one elk in seven days, almost killed it. Uh, didn't. And, uh, and, or, uh, rifle blacktails, uh, Columbia blacktails. I, I love that hunt back home. So like, that's kind of like my hunt that I try to do every year. And then, but then the other hunt that I, I try to do, it's like, I like doing all these things, but like, um, the first couple of weeks of November back here in Wisconsin, that's like, that's, that's a don't miss, man. Yeah. Like, I love to do all these things, but like, that's one that I carve out. Like, nope, I'm going to take a week sometime in that window. Yeah. And I, I do not want to miss the white tail rut with my bow. Like yeah. it, you know, I mean, I've been yeah. here a long time and that, that is just so so magical we talk about this a lot around here we've talked about it on our podcast and probably whatever others but like i feel like whitetails i feel like actually right now like people who live out west are actually getting into whitetails where before it was like oh you know yeah whitetails meh you know and i think a lot of that actually was due to the um media perspective Mm -hmm. that was portrayed so kind of like what people viewed whitetail hunting as just sitting over a giant food plot and waiting for him to step out exactly yeah Yeah. and then now they're oh wait there's a little bit more a little bit more to this and uh which is i guess like really good and maybe bad but um from a you know like i always want to promote hunting but then you know you roll into like your spot and you're like god damn there's a truck here already yeah um but that's don't miss man like i'm as from far west as you can get and dude, archery whitetails is like that—that's a don't miss for me. Yeah. I, I personally love yeah. it. Like for some people, it might be a little bit too static, you know, with the tree stand thing. But I, dude, I love that. I love that game. I love that elevated perch. And yeah, that—that that has me thinking about something that I—that I would probably be willing to do. And I say probably, you know. Yeah. I'm just thinking out loud at this point. Yeah. And that would be find someone out west that you can trade a hunt with. You know what I mean? Like, if there's anybody listening out here who, uh, you know, has a good spot for mule deer hunting, hit me up. <laughs> I would be willing. And it, and it would. It sucks because in Iowa, where I'm a resident, it takes forever to get a tag I know. for a non-resident. So, I don't know. Like, that's what I'm getting at is, like, find someone out west, whether depending on what state you live, and maybe there's, like, a, a partnership that you can make with somebody and mm-hmm. a friendship. And I've heard I've heard you know success stories where a guy trades a hunt for i mean they even have websites for that now like to trade hunts and stuff like that but maybe meet someone out west and be like hey man you gotta you gotta whether it's public land or private or whatever it's like hey man i got a good deer spot if you want to you want to do a deer hunt and maybe you can take me on a mule deer hunt or elk hunt or you know a a merriam turkey hunt or something like that Mm -hmm. and man i uh that would be a good partnership i think and then maybe make a friendship out of it too i don't know I, I think, uh, I mean, I think that's, that's a great idea. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about like making friends, I feel as hunters, at least I know, I know I've experienced this, like when, whatever scenario you're, you're in, like if you're a hunter, you know, outdoors person, like I, at least I know, like I'm trying to seek out that person in the yeah. group who also <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, and it's like instant connect. Like, I feel like you get your, get one another, like on 
a uh, like on on a, a different level. Like you, diff- you you immediately have like a bond and an understanding, mm-hmm. like without even meeting each other right. or knowing each other previously. I should say, right. you know, right. I don't know, man. So okay, so on top of that, then. Do you have some preference points stacked up for uh, a place or a thing that you're you're just waiting for the perfect moment to, to go and do or planning on a trip that might be a once a one and done type deal? I've got I've got a couple states where I've got points stacked up and actually it's it's this weird mental game with myself that I like I I uh, I cherish them so much and I'm so guarded with them I'm almost like afraid to use them right. at this point You're like yeah. oh it better be the right year I better have enough time I better yeah. you know check what the winter was last year you know I don't want to burn my points on the wrong year and you know while I'm you know procrastinating um you know different states are you know changing their regulations the where they're structuring things point you know, happening you got yeah. point creep you've got you know reductions for you know out of state and so then you're trying to you know navigate those things and then in the meantime, like, I also, like, and because of th- that, like, I also just, like, I just keep doing, like, these, like, crummy, or I say crummy, they're great, you know, but, like, and it's amazing that we have these opportunities. Yeah. But, like, like I know I can plan X over-the-counter hunt, yeah. so I, I'll just plug that in my calendar. Like, I don't have to know that I have to draw something to do it. So yeah. then I'm like, oh, I'll just do these things that I know I can do, but then I never actually... It's it's not it's not the smart move, but yeah. yeah, there's a couple states. Wyoming, I've got a lot of points in Wyoming. Um, a couple other states, and it's just a matter of like yeah, pulling the trigger and and trying to figure it out. But those are also states I don't have a lot of hunting experience in. Same. So yeah, it's like uh, I got some Wyoming points. Uh, and I can't remember. I think I'm sitting this year will be eight preference points oh, yeah. for elk. Yeah, you're good, man. Seven That's a good or, spot. Seven or eight. So I don't know what, and I got I think five or six for mule deer and the same for antelope and and so i'm i'm biding my time i think i missed a window on a certain zone mm-hmm. during the covid year where the uh, the that particular unit that i was interested in did all the research that year drew with seven or six and i would have drawn 100 percent this year or last year i applied for that tag thinking six or seven is going to get me in i have those points and it bounced back up to 10 so so looking at the previous data it was like 10 points 10 points six points because of the covid year 10 points 10 points so i don't know just by this time i this year i I didn't prepare at all enough to to draw there Mm -hmm. so i uh uh i just bought another preference point and so i don't know Is, is there any state for whitetail that you haven't hunted yet, but are really interested in, in I, hunting. Iowa. Yeah, yeah. How many points do you have for Iowa? One. Okay, so you're just starting. So I'm just I'm just starting, and it was it was it was a stupid way to look that I was looking at things, mm-hmm. right? Because I'd be like I'd be like, well, I can white, hunt whitetails where I live here in Wisconsin. You know, mm-hmm. like I've been here like yeah, 13, 14 years, something like that. I'm like, why can't whitetails at home? So why would I plan an out-of-state hunt for something that I could do, or for a species that I could space or hunt a species I could chase in a similar landscape, right? Like I'm going to do something. If I'm going to go spend money and go something, I'm going to do something different than that. Yeah. But just the more that I learned about, you know, your 
great state over time, I'm like, oh no, that's actually a pretty special spot to hunt these deer that arguably one of my favorite things to do. Why am I not doing that? So I yeah. put in for a point the other year, like an idiot. I missed it last year. I should have, I should be going in this year with two points, but now I'm going in this year. You forgot to buy your preference point. Yeah. Oh, and that, you just, burn, that you, burns a little bit. It's just so weird to think like, oh, I missed this window and it's, it's going to impact me by a year of my life. Yeah. That's a significant, like one year is actually a significant percentage of your life. Yeah. Like you don't think of it like, oh, another year has passed. It's like, no, actually that's a pretty big tick mark in the whole grand scheme of things. Well, especially when we put so much time and energy into whether it's scouting or planning and then, and then just, I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, with I'm, I have one grandparent left. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And so you don't, you're not just thinking about it from a planning standpoint. You're thinking about it from a, almost like a life standpoint too. Oh yeah. Right. So these preference points and there's certain, uh, that I have for Wyoming and there's certain hunts that I want to do, let's say like in Colorado or, um, in some of these rougher terrains, like I got to do that now because if I don't in 10 years, I might not be able to do this hunt the way I am envisioning this hunt. Exactly. 12,000 feet, solo, spike camp. You know what I mean? Like, like let's just say a high country mule deer hunt. Like, I'm a flatlander. I've been up in the alpine uh, environment like that. It's not easy for someone like me who doesn't live there. So you take, you have to take a day to acclimate, and then you got to make sure the whole year you're prepped physically for these hunts then you have to you know all the other stuff that goes into a hunt like this and so i gotta i gotta get on my horse i know if i if i want to get some of these accomplished while my knees still work yes you know what i mean so yeah I, dude I, I feel like i identify with that <laughs> your headspace there yeah. man because you're just like yeah i want to do these things like yeah, uh, the clock's ticking. Yeah, like you, like yeah, you could go do it, but like you know, you need your health. Like it's like yeah. you know, getting to that point in your life where you know, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago, these things, these thoughts didn't cross my mind. You know, you get a little bit older, you start to uh, uh, yeah. have to come to terms with your mortality. Yeah, we're all terminal, Dan. By the way, uh, and uh, yeah, you're like, then you've got this compressed timeline. You're like, well, I got a lot of things I want to try and do. Right, right. I don't know. So, and then the, and then that's the great part about filling in the gaps with, you know, over the counter tags, Mm -hmm. like on on certain states where maybe it's a, you have to apply, but you're going to get automatically drawn Mm -hmm. or, you know, you, and that's, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm really starting to plan like multiple years in advance, like three, 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 yeah, three years in advance when it comes to scheduling hunts. Like my goal, I bought a preference point for Kansas this year. Mm -hmm. So my goal is hopefully next year I can hunt Kansas. If I'm successful while I'm down there, might hit Oklahoma as well. And then, you know, obviously I'm going to do some of my favorite hunts, you know, obviously Iowa and then, um, maybe out West for something. And then, you know, try to also fit in that elk hunt that I want. And so, I need to get it down on paper, to be honest with you. I have it in my head, yep. but I need to get it down on paper so I can start calculating needs for preference points and things like that. So, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, I'd rather, for me, like, I'd rather go yeah. than not go. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not, I mean, I mean, I love big bucks and bulls as much as the, the next guy, right? Yeah. But it's not my drive, it's not my driver, Yeah. right? Um, 
And there are, at least right now, uh, at press time, really good opportunities to hunt that that you can just go. And I think that, and so you can just plug them in. I'd just say, just go. Like, it's not, it may not be the best hunt. You may not see the most deer or elk. You may not, you may not get one. You might, might not get a big one. Yeah. But man, at least you're going. You can say, like, in conversation, I think this is the, you know, we do a lot of this what we do for the experience right and the story behind it like i've never hunted x state and i can go and say dude yeah i hunted that here's what i saw here's what i right. experienced you go do the same hunt the next year and you just gain that much knowledge about the environment put yourself in a better position or you can say dude that sucked so much i'm not <laughs> I'm, i probably won't go back right so but you know yeah, you know yeah it's i don't know they're all they're all you, you can always you can take away certain things from everything. That's right. You know? That's right. Uh, other than big game, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to tell you what my I have a fishing bucket list hunt that I want to do. Okay. And then I want I want to see if you have one. Amazon River peacock bass, top water. Like I heard that is one of the coolest. Just watching a big peacock bass slam a top water. Uh, Mm-hmm. crankbait or whatever those things are plug and so do you have a non-archery non-gun hunting uh fishing maybe experience or any type of hunting or camping experience that you want to that you want to accomplish oh man uh how much time you got buddy yeah, right um i'd say one thing and i don't you know i haven't really fished for steelhead to speak of at all since since I left but I think you know catching like I don't have a lot of um I don't really have any like like too many like number goals like oh man I want to shoot a 400 bull someday like mm-hmm. I, I don't I just maybe I'm being negative I just don't like see that as a thing but like for me I think growing up like that uh hitting that managed managed magical 20 pound mark with uh with a steelhead would yeah. be like a very like special thing for me yeah um and it would be it wouldn't it w- it's not necessarily like yeah i caught i caught caught a 20 pounder i hit the mark it'd be having uh you know having that uh experience with like a fish that is to me like so special yeah like to be so close and to be able to touch something so special like i said like that's that's like a magic that's like a un- that'd be like touching a unicorn yeah. to me um so that would be like, yeah, I've caught steelhead before, but I guess that'd be like kind of like outside of, you know, the realm. Man, peacock bass, that'd be sweet. I've always wanted to fish for like baby tarpon in the mangroves. Never yeah. done that. Um, I love fishing Alaska. I've been fortunate to fish, you know, pretty extensively throughout that state for, for salmon. Um, there's some really cool steelhead spots there that I haven't fished uh, yet. Uh uh, yeah, the, the in the peacock bass that'd be like a big one, and then like um a lot of like the inshore saltwater species, you know, whether it's on you know uh you know traditional gear fly fishing, I think it'd be yeah. sweet, like rooster fish, like the, that's like kind of like yeah. a bucket list. I'm like, man, I really like to catch a rooster fish someday. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, all the things, Dan. Like I said, that's the, my problem, man. Yeah, just gotta fit them in. Uh, there's one other thing that I want to accomplish, and that is climb. I, I had this goal in my head for several years, and that was I want to climb every 14,000-foot peak in Colorado, the 14ers. Jeez, yeah. wow. There's 54 of them. 
realistically, that probably won't happen. Like, what do you mean climb? Like, they have trails that you can pretty much hike to the top okay. and hit 14,000 feet. So you're not, like, you know, like climbing, like, a frozen waterfall with no, your ice axe. I'm, yeah, no, I'm not doing, what's that guy's name? Uh, uh, Alex oh. Hunold or Harnold. Or, yeah, dude, I yeah. watched that documentary. Yeah. It's, like, so cool. Like, I'm not using my fingers to climb, okay? <laughs> Just boots, okay? <laughs> so, so I would love to get to 14,000 feet. I don't know why that's, why I want that, but I want that. Yeah, and so uh, I, I don't, I just I find that impressive that that you can see a long ways and you can say, hey, yeah, I got to fourteen thousand, right? Yeah, um, you should do that this summer. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, That's just a drive away, Dan. I know it is. It's eight hours to get to Colorado. Probably no, probably ten hours from where I live to get to Denver, and mm-hmm. then from there you can go wherever. But uh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm gonna try. I'm going to try. There's some ptarmigan up in some of that country, too, I hear. Ptarmigan? Yeah, like uh, like the Alaska bird. Like, uh, I don't know, P-T-A-R-G. I don't know. Anyway, they're like a cool game bird, but they're, I think there's some in Colorado. Okay. Uh, hopefully, I didn't blow up somebody else, somebody's uh, spot. <laughs> what's um, that What's that bird? I'm just saying, if you need a motivating factor to get you up into some of that country, that could yeah. be it. Yeah. What's that bird that pretty much eats your leftover food? Uh, when you're up elk hunting or mule deer hunting. Oh, my gosh. The, well, I, I call them camp robbers. But, yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking like, the blue and gray yeah. bird that just, it, it'll fly up to you, it'll sit. And this is up where not a lot of people are. Yeah. And so one day I was eating like a granola bar, and I had a piece of granola bar, and I threw it out. And that bird popped up, grabbed it, and flew away. And But then they, they come right back. They're very, like, they get very conditioned to people. Yeah. They're cool looking. Yeah, they're awesome birds. I just wish I knew the name. Oh, man. Like I said, I've always called them camp robbers, but are they some sort of jay? It's almost like, a, it, it looks like, like a, a gray high, jay? like some kind of, it could be a blue jay. I don't think, but they're not blue, though. They're gray. They're grayish, yeah. They're like kind of like, uh, I'm going to get the old Google machine out here. Maybe Ryan's, Ryan, MC Ryan's probably on the case here. He's helping us record today. Um, hold on. Do you know what we're talking about? Like, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, stand by, stand by everybody. Dead air. Um, oh, it might be called the Canada J. The be. Canada J also known as the gray J or camp robber me, or whiskey Jack. Let me see the picture of it. Is that the guy? Yeah, I think maybe this one, this picture looks more like it. That one right there. Yeah, I yeah. would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that case, is case those birds closed. are those birds are cool. <laughs> yeah. National Geographic's. Anyway, um, Mark, man, really appreciate you guys having me out here uh, this uh, this week and last couple days and and BSing with me and getting me on the the uh, Vortex Nation podcast and showing me around, dude. Uh, love with what you guys are doing and and thanks for taking time out of today and coming in when I know you didn't want to come into work today. But you did. Oh man, I, I always want to come in if, if you're if you're here. Yeah, no, I mean we appreciate you making the time to come out. It's been awesome having you. I mean we uh, we appreciate all the support and the work that you do, and appreciate you as as a person. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah, it's just I mean obviously, obviously really good all around. I feel like I've spent an hour just talking about myself. Uh, when really what I probably should have been doing is talking about all the great people at Vortex. Yeah. Um, just because I mean as we've grown over time, we've added 
just so many amazing people yeah. who that's who make this place work from the product development guys to the customer service team to the consumer sales guys to you know marketing sales the, the shipping crew back there is yeah. phenomenal i mean like everybody's just got their head down grinding they're on point um and uh, and they generally care about their jobs they care about vortex and and they genuinely care about our customers and all their varying capacities um and it's just like you were pointing out dan like it, it really is it makes it a very special place yeah. to work with people that you know like you we care about each other here like it's yeah. just it's really cool so yeah. anyway i want to say that because i feel like i left some of those things out and then yeah like i said you know appreciate you and all, all the support from your end because it's just uh it all it all uh, it's all connected as That's they right. would say on That's the right. uh the the TV show manifest. So. Well, good luck this season, man. Hopefully you slay. Yeah, you as well, man. Good luck. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll see you out there at some point. And, uh, yeah, man, happy uh, climb them 14ers. I'm going to try. Send me the text message I'm from gonna, the top. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And there you have it. Huge shout-out to Mark. Huge shout-out to Vortex for uh, inviting me over, letting me hang with him for a couple days, taking me out for a nice steak dinner. Absolutely love uh, those guys. Awesome people. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, and Hunt Stand and Vortex for supporting this podcast. If you're looking for an awesome brand, uh, please check those companies out because they, uh, they support the Nine Finger Chronicles. And lastly, please go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and give the Nine Finger Chronicles a five-star review. Let everybody know how badass this podcast is. I would really appreciate it. And then... Tell it, share word of mouth, share things with your friends, right? And we're getting close to the hunting season. Uh, A lot of awesome content coming. We got two more episodes this week with Vortex Week. And I'm telling you right now, they're awesome as well. We got the hunting gear podcast coming this week as well uh, with, uh, with talking about Vortex Optics. And that's it. Have a good day. Have a good week. Have a good month. Good vibes in, good vibes out. And we'll talk to you next time.